Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Ontario's minimum wage doesn't cut it. I'm also discussing financial stress, hands-on education, kids who vape, the October heat wave, and good haunting Hamilton. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Let's shift gears and talk about Ontario's minimum wage because over the weekend... It rose by a dollar five. Went from fifteen fifty an hour to sixteen fifty five. But is it enough? Is it high enough? Anti poverty advocates and many people who are earning that wage say, no, it's not even close to where it should be. We need more. Tom Cooper is the director of the Hamilton Roundtable for Poverty Reduction and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Good to talk to you. So Ontario now has the third highest minimum wage at sixteen fifty-five. Yukon is number one at sixteen seventy-seven, followed by BC at sixteen seventy-five. Sixteen fifty-five is that high enough for you? No, it's not high enough. Uh, we've often here in Hamilton and really across the province talked about the value of encouraging employers to set living wages, and and living wages are evidence-based calculations of, of what it actually costs to live in a community and participate. It covers housing and food and, and all the other necessities of life. Um, and it really is uh, a, a call out both to the community and to employers to, to take a, a, a step further and ensure that their employees are earning enough so that they can you know, fully participate in their community. And unfortunately, uh, the minimum wage is is several dollars lower than that in Hamilton. Our living wage is currently nineteen dollars and five cents. We're going to recalculate it over the next month or so. We suspect it's probably going to go up by at least a dollar as well. So to be around that twenty dollar kind of stage, which I know the Ontario Living Wage Network has worked out those calculations, and the GTA, I think it's twenty three or twenty five bucks. Um, and and that's no surprise because even though for years inflation was low. The cost of living, especially now with interest rates and inflation and, you know, the price of food, that, uh, you know, wages have not kept up with that those increases. Yeah, exactly. And and to give the provincial government some credit, they did tie minimum wage increases to to inflation a couple of years ago. And, and so going forward, we will see uh, increases in, in line with inflation. The problem was that minimum wage was frozen uh, for so many years uh, before that, that uh, it never had a chance to catch up to what a living wage would be in communities across Ontario. Earlier this morning, we took a look at the 15th Annual National Payroll Institute Survey of Working Canadians, and it found that 20% year-over-year increase in the number of Canadians experiencing financial stress. And that should not come as uh, to, to anyone's surprise because over the last year, the price of everything has kind of gone up. We've, we've had some difficulties in the workforce, you know, word of a recession on the way. That financial stress is real, and we're seeing it here in Hamilton as well. Oh, absolutely. And we're, we're certainly seeing it in the housing market as well. And as you and I have talked about many times before, Rick, the the huge challenge facing particularly low-income earners in, in trying to maintain affordable housing is, is just extreme. And uh, rents have skyrocketed way past inflation rates. And, and, and so that puts even more pressure on low-wage workers. And, and, and so many are trying to cobble together two or three jobs uh, just to try to make ends meet, try to pay that rent, uh, feed the family, keep the utilities on. So it's an ongoing challenge. 
We're speaking with Tom Cooper, director of the Hamilton Roundtable for Poverty Reduction, chatting about Ontario's new minimum wage of sixteen fifty-five an hour. It went up over the weekend from fifteen fifty. Here's the other side of the equation. I'm sure there's business owners listening right now. A lot of those mom and pop shops saying, "I can't afford sixteen fifty-five. This is going to hurt the bottom line. I might have to reduce hours or lay off an employee or two. We can't afford it." What do you say to those those business owners? Yeah, we often talk about increasing wages as a win-win-win. So we know it's uh, certainly helpful to employees to to earn a little bit more year over year. But it's also helpful uh, to the employers because when you have a stable workforce, there's far less costs and in, in turnover. There's far there's far more efficiencies to be found in in a workforce that feels valued. Uh, so so when we talk to employers, they they do see the value in, in ensuring that they're employees are earning enough. Even the Chamber of Commerce has has acknowledged that as long as they know what the minimum wage is going to be, the fact that it's now tied to inflation, they can plan and, and they can make those determinations. Um, and it's not a big surprise when the government comes out with a, a, an announcement on October 1st saying the minimum wage is going up, they can expect what that price is going to be. So um, we, we think employers can um you know can accommodate increasing minimum wages but certainly it's it's been a struggle for everybody over the last couple of years i'm a big believer if you pay people more that money will eventually make its way back into stores like that back into the economy because the more people earn the more they tend to spend some will save a little bit more but some will obviously spend a little bit more tom will have to leave it there great discussion as always appreciate the time as well Thank you, Rick. Tom Cooper is the director of the Hamilton Roundtable for Poverty Reduction. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, the cost of living, as we know, is, well, it is a struggle for some, for many, to be honest. And it is good timing that the National Payroll Institute is out with its 15th annual survey of working Canadians. What are working Canadians saying? Well, I'll tell you what it's saying. It reveals some worrisome findings about where they are at financially. It's not a good it's not a good place. Peter Zanatakis is the president of the National Payroll Institute and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Peter, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thank you very much. Your fifteenth uh, annual survey of working Canadians. What are some of the highlights, some of the worrisome trends that you're seeing? Well, a financial stress storm has uh, picked up significant strength, and it's far more intense than initially predicted. I mean, this really continues a trend that began in 2021 after the initial improvement uh, in 2020 when pandemic lockdowns really forced Canadians to save, which appeared to be a bit of the calm before this storm. But uh, this year's research indicates that immediate action is uh, required to protect working Canadians from further intensifying financial stress. And some of the key drivers of this financial deterioration is uh, increased interest rates, uh, inflation and high cost of living, which are all really combining to severely impact the working Canadians' uh, financial wellness. So what are some of the questions that you asked working Canadians? Well, we asked them how they're handling their debt. What are they doing with uh, spending? Uh, are they saving any, any money uh, at the end of the, uh, the, the week when they, when they receive their paycheck? And and, and unfortunately, the number of financially stressed working Canadians has jumped by 20% in the past year. And, and it, it really, you know, it really is debt is the big culprit right now. It's, it's really what's driving financial stress. And those that are in the financially stressed category, and it's almost 
40% of working Canadians are really carrying a lot of debt and, and, and up to four times the types of debt, like, you know, credit card and, and lines of credit. So it, it really is a lot of pressure on uh, a significant number of them. It, it sounds like most, if not all Canadians, are just working to pay down that debt or just working to, to, to live and to get by. It, 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 it's, it's a fact, and, and it, it, most, most of those financially stressed working Canadians uh, are, either, are either spending all of their paycheck or spending beyond their paycheck, and it's the spending beyond their paycheck that's really created a big problem because now they're dipping into uh, credit card uh, debt, for example, just to pay for the essentials because of that high cost of living, and that's really created a lot of pressure for people. And uh, it's not leaving very much uh, at the end uh, to even put any money aside for uh, like an emergency. So these financially stressed Canadians aren't even able to pay down some of that debt. They're just contributing to it. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's difficult to tell. It's, it's difficult to tell Canadians to, you know, curtail their spending on essentials. But some tough decisions are going to have to be made in terms of some of this discretionary um, spending and and but one of the best ways for Canadians to you know positively affect their financial wellness is by reducing their reliance on debt and 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 in in many instances they can consolidate the sources of debt and use consolidation services uh, to more efficiently pay for that that they already owe because it's it's they've got to stop this spiral downwards. Peter Zanatakis is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Peter is the president of the National Payroll Institute, and it just released its annual survey of working Canadians, which reveals some troubling findings about their financial well-being. It really doesn't exist. They're stressed out to the max because of their finances. And when it comes to tackling all this debt, this financial stress certainly has an impact, I would assume, on their psyche, on their well-being. Yeah, it's it's really having an impact in the household as well, like, Half of these financially stressed Canadians admit that they feel more isolated, you know, due to the rising cost of living. And, and, the, and they've also uh, indicated uh, in the survey that um, financial stress is being felt by the ones in their household, the ones that they love the most. But they're also bringing it to the workplace, too. They're, they're admitting that this financial stress has uh, impact their workplace performance. And that's something that employers also need to really pay attention to. So is the worst yet to come? Because we hear of, you know, with, with interest rates where they are, we know that mortgages and mortgage renewals, and many of them are coming up. Is, is the worst still on the horizon? It, it, it could be. Um, it, it, it's tough to tell, but, but certainly um, it is something that um, those who are financially stressed need to really pay attention to because what you don't want is you don't want to continue to spiral downwards uh, into being financially stressed. You want to try to move up to being uh, at least coping with your finances. And, um, you know, with this continued pressure on inflation and, and higher interest rates, and as you mentioned, the, uh, the mortgage renewals coming up, it is going to be really tough uh, to handle. So focusing in on the debt is probably one of the things that they can do best to try to at least uh, you know, um, curtail any, uh, you know, potential downward spiral. And it's um, going to be some difficult choices ahead 
for Canadians uh, in terms of uh, what they should be spending on and, and how to manage their finances in the household. Your 15th annual uh, survey of working Canadians also found that because people are so focused on their debt, you know, that's quite worrisome. It, it obviously impacts their, their stress levels. And they're also taking that to the workplace as well. And how could they not be? They're always thinking about it. Yeah, you know what was interesting in the in the results was that on average, uh, working Canadians are spending half an hour a day um, in the workplace, either dealing with their finances, worrying about their finances, and um, that's been estimated um, to cost the Canadian economy forty five billion dollars in lost productivity because of the distraction and the time spent at work worrying and dealing about their finances. And and, and not only that, uh, you know, a lot of Canadians are taking personal sick days. They've admitted to taking personal sick days um, because of uh, their financial stress uh, um, in in the workplace. So it's impacting them in the household, but it's also impacting them at work, and it's creating a, a significant situation for uh, obviously, employers that they need to take a look at this because it is really having real impacts now. We got about thirty seconds. I'm 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 going to assume that a lot of our listeners, you know, tuning in right now, are kind of in this boat, thinking, "Okay, what do I do? Any advice that you have for them?" Well, while 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 everyone wants to make more money, um, and everybody's looking for higher salaries, um, being financially stressed is not really determined by the uh, your income bracket. In fact. Those making over 100000 comprise about a third of financially stressed um, uh, can, uh, working Canadians. So it, it is really about those behaviours, about managing debt, uh, good spending habits, and, and if you can deal with that, your ability to save, um, and whether it's through your employer or, or putting away a rainy day fund, you've, you've got to change your, your, your habits in order to um, get out of that uh, financially stressed category and start coping and, and hopefully moving into the comfortable category. So th- that's the advice that that uh, the research is really indicating to. That's uh, advice that our listeners, I'm sure, can uh, take with them and, and start implementing. Peter, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks for your time this morning. Thank you very much. Peter Zanatakis is the president of the National Payroll Institute. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. With students back in school now for about a month or so, the Industry Education Council of Hamilton is emphasizing the importance of hands-on education and learning. Reese Morgan is the executive director of the Industry Education Council and joins us on GMH. Reese, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm fine, thank you. Is this all about the skilled trades, or is there something more to this? Oh, no. This is much more about the, than, than the skilled trades. Uh, the skilled trades are just a component of it, right? Uh, we actually act as that catalyst between education, industry, and the broader community. We offer programs and in industry that's initiated to help accommodate career exploration and partnership. Really, it's all about building the development for the workforce that's going to be in Hamilton for the next so many years. We've been around for basically since 1980. We really work with, uh, I mean, initiated, started off with, with the school boards that really looked at the need to say that they want to be able to sort of develop the workforce starting with K to 12. And then, of course, working for them with the programs as they start getting to uh, beyond high school. So what kind of, uh, that's a, what, kind, what kind of hands-on education and learning should we be seeing? And, and are we seeing it? Well, I mean, hands-on is that that component. I, I'm a hands-on learner. It's funny that you mentioned about the actual um, 
uh, the minimum wage when I started off. I'm a chef by trade, actually, that I got into teaching, uh, and it was about two thirteen, two dollars and thirteen cents an hour. I think <laughs> I was making. So, uh, but the fact remains is that. Uh, it's all about experiential learning. Experiential learning doesn't necessarily have to be with one aspect of of of, of skilled trades. And you're talking about every aspect of every industry, and you're talking things about that uh, job shadowing, job twinning, uh, work experience. Uh, co-op is that grade 11 or 12 aspect where they're actually out going to do programs uh, at a, at an employer and, and really doing that hands-on aspect, but truly working closely with a mentor in the community. So it really starts off early. It's understanding uh, the idea. It's not a matter anymore about, uh, you know, what do you want to do? It's about who do you want to be when you grow up? So it's all about helping them to focus on on defining their, their likes and their dislikes and then getting into opportunities that can arrange and help them go down that pathway. There's lots of programs within school the Ontario Youth Apprenticeship Program, the high skills major, there's dual credit programs just in high school that really gets them prepared for the sectors, the large sector that are out there and the potential work opportunities. I was always and still am a big fan of hands-on learning because when you're doing something, you're you're learning in the moment as opposed to watching someone else do it. Doing it yourself is a, is a real eye opening, and you're putting your, in some cases, your motor skills to the test, or just your your, your brain power to the test. Yeah, it really actually, you know, it really synthesizes and gets down. And actually, you're making that connection with your hands. Actually, the visual part of it. I mentioned about the fact that my my pathway to get where I am, as far as cooking, is truly like using all senses. You're talking about taste, taste, touch, sound, sight feel, all those things that really kind of cement the fact of where the learning comes from. If you're a student and you're somebody that basically is is doing things like putting rafters up, uh, you're still learning Pythagorean theorem. You're still actually putting those into, pra- into practice, but it's the actual, you can visualize it. So we all know that we're all different kinds of learners and we try to help them. And of course, schools, that, that's all about education of trying to help them find their path, path to sort of their, their career. Uh, and so those that actually that hands on part of it is really crucial uh, to getting out there. And that's why we look for employers. We look to the industry to really help us to offer opportunities for students to really help them sort of find a path. The Industry Education Council of Hamilton emphasizing the importance of hands-on education and learning. And we're talking about it with Reese Morgan, the executive director of the Industry Education Council. Um, Are are you having to convince schools or or industry partners to partner with you on this? Are they all in? I think that's a good question because as far as the schools, uh, they're they're really looking to sort of of connect between the industry. Uh, We do... Uh, know that there's a bit of a gap in between the education, the, excuse me, the industry side of it. Um, there's a little bit of hesitation. And again, you know, with COVID, that affected quite a bit as far as the ability for people to really want to say, I want to uh, uh, really commit to sort of taking somebody on. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you've actually got to uh, actually take somebody on for a fall semester. Why not take them on for a, for a day? Why not take them? Why not act as a mentor? Come into the schools send some of your employees to sort of talk to the students. We know full well that there's a, a, going to be a big knowledge gap as people retire. And then all of a sudden they'll be like, oh, uh, we need people to train them, but we don't have them there. So that gap is is there. Uh, we do have a, a really good uh, in-depth uh, advisory committees that help us. And, and our board is really consistent as far as, you know, such diversity of helping them sort of really look at where the gaps are. We try to look at different sectors. We try to look at different areas that within specifically Hamilton, where the needs are going to be and how can we help 
address those things over the next while. And that's why you, know, you go back to going early in the early ed, uh, grades and sort of start talking to them about uh, the, uh, the mentors and, and where the possibilities of the careers uh, down the road. Got about 30 seconds. How receptive are students to this? Uh, students are quite receptive. Uh, again, I mentioned about the COVID aspect, the idea that there's a bit of, of, of uh, um, a virtual aspect, which doesn't necessarily always relate to the same as actually being right with a person, uh, being able to be able to really, like you said, with that hands-on aspect of it. So uh, students are, there's there's tons of opportunities within the school system. There's tons of programs that, that we help develop, and of course, that are already embedded by the Ministry of Education. Uh, and, and we've worked closely again with those industry partners. So really, we're looking for more people to come on board to sort of help us out to make those connections with students so that they know that once they retire, then they'll, they'll know that there'll be a, uh, uh, students that are going to be able to take their place or they're going to be workers that are going to be able to sort of really look at uh, help building their workforce. A lot more information online at ieChamilton.ca. Reese, thank you for the time. Enjoy the day. Thanks very much, Rick. Have a great day. You too. Reese Morgan is the Executive Director of the Industry Education Council. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We don't normally talk about this on the show today, but we, we should now because the City of Hamilton has put out uh, an advisory, at least a note, calling on local parents as well as retailers in the community to tackle vaping by minors. It is a growing issue. I, I see right outside our windows because we have a high school right across the street, many kids vaping, and it's disturbing. It's it's not healthy. Janice Johnston is the manager of tobacco control with the city of Hamilton and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Janice, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm good. So what are you noticing in the community? Are, are we seeing a lot of minors vaping? Yeah, we are. In fact, we know that at least uh, a third of all our youth are, are vaping right now. We know that at least 10% of Kids have uh, at least tried to vape. Um, and our main mes- message here is that parents and retailers and all community members can uh, all play a part in the vaping epidemic by curbing the sale of supply of uh, vapor products uh, to minors. Is it, uh, is it easy for a minor to get a vaping product? Are there different rules when it comes to vapes as opposed to cigarettes? Well, no, it's it's pretty well the same. Uh, we, uh, you know, you can't sell a vapor product to a person under uh, 19 years of age. And it's really important that folks such as retailers, parents and caregivers, friends of family of youth, uh, that really abide and align with the regulatory framework of vapor products. Youth get their vapes from social sources like friends and families or, or retailers. And so the goals of this um, social supply ca- campaign is to increase the awareness about the legislation. Uh, for retailers, clerks, and parents um, uh, to really uh, increase uh, vapor product retailer compliance for above 90% uh, for sales to minors in Hamilton. What we do know now is that retailers in Hamilton are not meeting the thresholds required from the Ministry of Health to comply with the legislation and uh, to to not uh, sell to minors. And uh, we've had over 60 charges for selling vapor products to uh, minors already this year. That's just in this year. Wow. How does that compare to past years? Is that higher than normal? Well, you know, we've had the uh, the pandemic there. Really, uh, we put a uh, we, we couldn't do a full service, and really, the legislation just started um, uh, the Smoke Free Ontario Act since 2017. So this is the highest that we've seen it. Have we seen tobacco use among minors drop because the vape use is going up? 
Well, I, I don't. We we have seen we've made great gains in uh, tobacco control, and that the smoking rates have gone uh, down. But it's still around twenty percent of Hamiltonians, all uh, like of all Hamiltonians, um, Hamiltonians uh, are occasional or daily smokers. And what we do know is that twenty percent of uh, smoking attributed deaths each year is uh, is twenty percent, and it has risks to individual and healthcare system. You know, the ERs visits, uh, you know, are highest for respiratory conditions, followed by cardiovascular conditions. And each year in Hamilton, there is over 3,000 smoking-attributed hospitalizations. Well, that's that's one too many, that is for sure. Janice Johnston is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Janice is the manager of tobacco control with the city and is calling on parents and uh, local retailers to tackle vaping by minors. Uh, what's the allure? Is it the cool factor? Um, well, it's, it's, uh, you know, maybe it is, maybe it starts off as the cool factor. Maybe it is the influence of friends. As we all know, we've all been there. Um, but what, what we do know is that nicotine is incredibly addictive. So what could start off as something that is, you know, something cool or that people try, uh, people soon get hooked. Are vapor products worse than cigarettes from a health standpoint? From a health standpoint, no. <laughs> Uh, uh, is probably one of the most dangerous things that uh, you can do to your body. What I can say without a doubt is that all your lungs need is air. And so, um, you, you know, in terms of uh, smoking, it is um, the, the risk of vaping that it, it does lead to, to uh, cigarette smoking. So generally that, you know, folks that do start to vape, will end up smoking cigarettes. Well, I'm more likely to, anyway. Yeah, and I, I can't tell you the number of people who I know who smoke or have smoked for a long time have said, I, I wish I never started. And that's probably true for those who are vaping right now. That's right. And, and you know what? And I don't know of any parent that would, you know, that would say, oh, you know, exactly what you said, Rick. Like, um, you, know, you know, I wish I never started smoking. And no parent would want their child to ever start smoking. It is a bad habit for sure, and it is an addiction, and obviously these individuals need some assistance in kicking that habit, but the fact of the matter is, if you never begin, you'll never get addicted to that product. Janice, appreciate the time. Good luck with this campaign. Okay, thank you so much for having me. You got it. You can check out more information on the city's website. That's Janice Johnston, the manager of Tobacco Control with the City of Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Just a reminder, it is fall. It is autumn. They're not supposed to be 32, 34 with the humidity, is it? What is going on with these summer-like temperatures, and how long is this one going to last? Jay McQueen is our weather specialist here on 900 CHML and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Jay, good morning. Hey, Rick. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. What gives with this heat wave? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, the heat, as you said, it uh, might not have been a record yesterday, but uh, it is kind of rare. It's not unheard of, but it is kind of rare for us uh, this time of the year. And um, if you think about average temperatures for this time of year for Hamilton, we should be in the afternoon around 16 degrees, that kind of thing. <laughs> so uh, we are into looking at temperature anomalies that are greater here in Ontario than pretty much anywhere in North America right now. And uh, so that is, you know, today, if we get to around the forecast high of 28 degrees this afternoon, 
that is around 12 degrees above seasonal, which is, uh, you know, is, is quite significant. That would be a record for this day in Hamilton as well. The record is 26.6 today. Yesterday's temperature record, 28.9, set in 1971. And, you know, for, for you know, when we go back into the history books, you know, I think of October as, you know, we might get a, a warm day or maybe two, not three or four in a row, which is what we're looking at. So what is causing this? Yeah, so we've got um, an omega block. Um, it's it's a part of a weather pattern here, but it's it's an omega block blocking pattern. So if you think of um, the well, and yeah, you might have to look it up here, but um, an omega, the the Greek letter omega, um, we're sort of in the middle of this. It's like a almost like a half circle kind of thing. And so we are in this, we've got this ridge of high pressure um, that we are in here in Ontario and Southern Ontario. And that's, uh, you know, bringing in this warm Southern air to us and and sunshine and nice conditions. And on either side of us, we have uh, low pressure troughs that are sort of uh, blocking this ridge of high pressure from going anywhere. So normally we have systems come in, come out. We have some nice weather. We have some crummy weather, that kind of thing. Uh, and so for days on end with these kinds of uh, omega blocks, you can get into these situations where you're stuck with uh, either one of these things and sometimes you get stuck in uh you know the rainy side of it and uh as it happens right now in october uh for us we're into this unseasonably warm and uh in very you know pleasant conditions now uh if this was the middle of the summer and you were looking at temperatures that were you know 10 degrees above seasonal with one of these blocking patterns then you could be in for some real trouble with uh, that kind of a heat wave but this time of the year you know i think most people can kind of stomach the uh temperatures in the mid to upper 20s although you know the kids are uh some of the uh the board schools have either questionable or non-existent air conditioning so <laughs> you know they're, they're a little sweaty when they come out at the end of the day but yeah. uh but yeah um we are in this pattern for today and uh, tomorrow and then uh, things will change after that. I like, uh, I'm sure thousands of others listening right now Googled Omega Block, and I found that it's created when, two, and you described it perfectly, it's created when two low pressure systems become cut off from the main flow of the jet stream, and a high pressure system is sandwiched or blocked in between them. D do these usually occur during the summer? Uh, they they can, um, but uh, you know, and and I guess all things are uh, you know it depends on the situation. But uh, you know, to have if if you have an average temperature of uh, <laughs> in the summer months of maybe uh, twenty seven degrees or something like that, to have to have uh, uh, departures and anomalies that are ten or twelve degrees above that would be just uh, off the charts around here, hmm. uh, without even factoring in the humidex. But uh, certainly, we didn't see you know anything like that. Uh, uh, prolonged this summer with the heat, but um, you know uh, we we did get into some conditions uh, you know later in the summer that were uh, probably saw us on either side of one of those blocks where we had quite a bit of rain off and on, and uh, you know and now we're sort of in this uh, dry phase. Talking about this early fall heat wave with CHML weather specialist Jay McQueen on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, learning about the Omega block and how it's uh, created some unseasonably warm patterns. Is it different than a heat dome? Uh, it's different than a heat dome. Well, basically you've got, um, it's, you know... It, the underlying principle is similar in that you're you're stuck with, uh, you know, things are trapped right. in the atmosphere and not moving. So, um, you know, the, in in that respect, uh, it is it is on the uh, the similar side of things uh, to to a heat dome. 
whenever these sort of weather phenomenons occur, uh, or at least weather patterns that we're not used to seeing at, at a particular time of the year, many people are quick to point out or quick to predict that uh, this is going to be the new norm. Is, is, is this the case or is this kind of a one-off or one, once-in-a-blue-moon type of thing? Uh, I've been sort of seeing that it looks like this is being called a summer's sort of uh, last hurrah here for us, um, you know, and, and because we're into October and fall, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be, uh, you know, we've got snow coming or anything like that. But, uh, you know, long term here, we're seeing uh, into this weekend temperatures likely in the uh, the mid to lower teens for highs, which is, you know, a huge change from where we are uh, yesterday through uh, through tomorrow and even Thursday and and rainy conditions off and on and and, and windy as well. So it's going to feel go feeling like summer to uh, to fall pretty quickly. <laughs> and then uh, even even into next weekend, uh, there had been, a, a sh- uh, you know, a couple of uh, snow icons thrown up on um on cottage country forecasts i've seen uh, them since kind of been taken away but uh yeah i, I don't think we're it, we would be uh, i'd be surprised if we saw temperatures into the mid the upper, upper 20s again uh this calendar year it's going to go from a high of uh, 28 today to perhaps down to 11 down on sunday that is quite the drastic change uh, jay yeah. thanks for the uh, the explanation of the omega block and for telling us about uh, this uh, recent weather uh event that we're currently experiencing appreciate the time enjoy the day Okay, you too, Rick. Thanks. JB Queen, weather specialist here on 900 CHML. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Today is the first in our Halloween series, Good Haunting Hamilton. We're focusing on cryptids, those animals that are believed to be somewhere in the wild. Uh, For example, the Loch Ness Monster. And there's an individual who's joining us right now who has been searching for Nessie. Alan McKenna is his name. Alan is the founder of Loch Ness Exploration. Let us search for the Loch Ness Monster back in August. Alan, welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. Hi, good morning. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for joining us this morning. Talk about your search for Nessie. How's that been going? It's been going well. Um, I mean, the, the main point of it all was to inspire a kind of new generation of of Loch Ness enthusiasts, not just Loch Ness monster hunters, but people who are interested in the loch and the environment itself. Uh, and I think we've done that, which is quite good. So we didn't find Nessie, unfortunately. We heard some bizarre sounds on the hydrophone, um, but we don't know what they were. But at the moment, it's about you know carrying that legacy over. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure I'll be the, the sole individual to do that. There's, there's a lot of people up there who are very invested in the Loch Ness mystery. Um, but I'm I'm just really happy and delighted just to even play a small part in that. What you know? what drew you to this exploration project? Oh, it comes from childhood. Um, a long, long time ago, it, it was Tim Dinsdale's first book, The Story of the Loch Ness Monster. Um, that's what got me hooked into it. Um, and I read that book, I think, in one or two nights. With, sorry, that's my dog. <laughs> um, one or two nights with my papa. Um, and from then, it, it just became a, an obsession of mine. But... I like to keep it kind of on a a, a reality level at the same time, um, and, and you know I'll be very honest. It's uh, I am there. I want to find the Loch Ness monster, but at the same time, I'm very aware that the environment is just as special. So yeah, set up Loch Ness exploration. I was going up there once a month, and I still do that. I go up once a month with the hydrophone, and I work directly with the Loch Ness Centre. You know, and I've worked alongside Adrian Shine and 
Steve Feltham and Dick Rayner and stuff like that. So what we're inviting people to do is to come along with us, whether you're a skeptic or a believer, um, and just observe the surface. Um, and hopefully when we expand as a team and become more of an effective research team, hopefully one day we'll take that that search again under the surface. We'll see where it goes. Do you think Nessie's ever going to be found? So I ask this question quite a lot to other people. Um, the one I always ask, if, if, if you were on the shores, you know, and you in this moment it was just you and nobody else, you got the proof, you got the, the concrete solid evidence that you need to prove its existence. But because it's that such a rare and elusive moment and it's so unique, I always ask, do you think that moment was just meant for you or would you share that for the rest of the world? And that's something I've always wrestled with. But of course, yeah, I I would love to find something, but it's at the same time, it's this is going to sound so stupid and cheesy. <laughs> it's almost, if Nessie is found, I if I personally found it myself and there was no one else there, I think I would probably pack my bags up and say, right, cool, I'm happy. I know there's something there. Hmm. Um, but if not, I'm, I'm going to just keep on going. But if there is anything in Loch Ness, I think everybody knows by now, if there is something there, it doesn't play by the rules. So we just keep on getting all these second chances. Um, and, and that's that's fun. That's the fun part of it. And a lot of people seem to forget that. that yes, we're serious about it, but it is also just really good fun as well. Well, we uh, wish you the best in having that fun. And who knows, maybe one day <laughs> something will be found. Alan, appreciate the time. Good luck. Thank you. Cheers now. Alan McKenna is the founder of Loch Ness Exploration, led the search for Nessie, the Loch Ness monster, back in August. Of course, came up empty-handed. If they didn't, we'd be talking about a much different kind of discovery. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.